Welcome to The Greek Current, a podcast by Halk and Kathy Merini. I'm your host, Thanos Davelis. Today, we are heading to a remote island in the Aegean, Tilos. The island has already been producing most of its own electricity through solar and wind, and this week, authorities announced that more than 80% of Tilos' trash is now being recycled, with a recycling plant replacing the island's landfill. Derek Gatopoulos, a correspondent for the Associated Press, who has been covering news in Greece for more than 25 years, joins me today to explore how Tilos has become a pioneer in green tech and environmentally sustainable initiatives and a model for other Aegean islands. Derek, it's great to have you on our program. Thanks for joining us. Hi there. Thanks for having me. Derek, you recently traveled to the small island of Tilos, which is the focus of our discussion. Before we get into some of these exciting developments, however, can you give our listeners a feel for the island, you know, its size and distance from the mainland and what life is like there? Um, yeah, Tilos is a very remote island. It's Dodecanese island um, chain. The nearest island to Tilos is Rhodes, and that is a two-hour ferry ride away, and it's 15 hours from the mainland. So it's about as remote as you can get in terms of life on the island. There's only 500 inhabitants on Tilos. So they're used to being very isolated and self-sufficient. Aside from challenges providing electricity and basic goods, Tilos, like many other Aegean islands, has had to deal with a plastic problem. Just how serious is this problem across the board? Well, on the islands in general, plastic is a very serious problem because they really don't have anywhere to put it. If you think that big islands like Rhodes have more than 2 million visitors per year, and that's just tourism, apart from all the local consumption, and everything ends up in a landfill. They don't have access to mainland treatment facilities. They're expensive sometimes. So yeah, islands really is, you know, they really do have a a plastic and and general waste disposal problem. And on top of that, you know, they trying to attract people from all around the world, really, to their beaches and their their resorts. So they really don't want to have, you know, it's very bad for their image to have a garbage problem. So normally what happens is they'll just have a landfill, like at the most remote part of the island, in sort of, you know, between mountains, and they just bury the trash there. But that's not sustainable, obviously. And sometimes, you know, there's wind will blow the the plastic bags into the nearest port and that kind of thing. So yes, there is a serious problem. Not only is Stilos taking the lead in tackling its plastic problem, but it's also leading the way in green energy. How has Stilos managed to stand out as a pioneer in green and sustainable tech? Well, Stilos really does stand out because they've done several things at the same time, which and other islands have maybe done one or two. So what Stilos has done, and this is going back maybe five or six years in terms of planning and then delivery, is that they have now, first of all, they have sustainable energy. They have a wind turbine and a solar park, and that is connected to a battery that stores the information, and that's the energy. And that's key because the production of energy from renewables is not regular. You know, there's more energy produced when the sun comes out and there's wind and so on. So the battery is key to keeping the supply regular. Before... They had the battery and this renewable system. They would have to get their energy supply from nearby islands, actually not that nearby, from an undersea cable that would burn diesel for power generation, which is dirty. And also they had, you know, regular power cuts. They'd have power cuts that would last um, 10 hours sometimes in the summer. So this has really changed everything. And now they even export power to the nearby islands of Nisiros and Kalimnos, which is, you know, really unbelievable. The other thing is that they have embraced several green initiatives at the same time. One is the new initiative, which is a recycling plant, which has replaced the old landfill. 
and now the landfill is closed and they have a recycling plant there. They have electric vehicles. They have the buses run on electricity. And if you put these things all together, then suddenly you have this island that really stands out and you have you know, this very small island, really. It doesn't really have that much connection with anywhere else. And they have, you know, built their own future, taking advantage of the willingness of corporations to try their technology, which is the case in the recycling, or from EU grants. And they pioneered the battery technology, for example, and the EU was actually testing that technology when they rolled it out a couple of years ago. And now they hope to put it into effect in other remote areas of the European Union. You know, they basically embraced any opportunity that was going on in the outside world, and they, they made it their own. Derek, in the past, we've seen skepticism towards green initiatives on other Greek islands, with many looking at projects like wind farms, for example, with a, you know, not-in-my-backyard attitude. Was this a challenge that had to be overcome on Tilos as well? I have to say not really, because Tilos is a very small island, and they have lots of room to put on to put a wind turbine anywhere. There were people who were skeptical and disagreed with it, but in the main, not really. Tilos, if you put it in this context, they have a very small population and they're very, very concerned about not being able to sustain their presence on the island. That's you know high up in their mind. And in the 90s, the population fell to somewhere in 200s, permanent, you know, year-round population. And they were thinking that, you know, they were finished and they wouldn't be able to last another generation. Every islander knows how many kids are attending the school because they see that as a gauge of their sustainability. So overall, anything that came in to help them maintain their presence, not have blackouts, I have to say also make the island very quiet. You don't hear these you know, loud noises that you hear on other islands. It's very quiet and very peaceful. In the overwhelming majority, the islanders are for it. In December, Tilos piloted a home trash pickup scheme, and now the old landfill has been replaced with a recycling plant. How critical has buy-in from the local population and local leadership been to make this project a success? Well, the buy-in is absolutely essential because the system runs on people participating in the scheme. So what's happened is this company that is a private company called Polygreen, it's based in Greece, but it has offices in many other countries. And they are sort of using Telos as a test bed and they're offering the service without charge so that they can show that it works and they can sell it to other islands and other customers. And what they do is they go to the community, they go to the schools and they, they go to the municipality and they ask for help from the community. And they say, we will give you these kits, we give you these bags, these bins, they're color-coded. And what we are asking you to do is to take your trash and you know, the things that you use in the household, wash it and separate it. And instead of putting it out in the bin outside, in the trash bin outside, we will come and collect it on these days. And then the company weighs that trash so that they can calculate the incoming and then they, they process it. So without the households participating, you wouldn't really have a program at all. And of course, that's the challenge in a community that's bigger than the island of Telos. Telos is sort of a captive audience, but if you have people have a more transient population, a larger population, people who don't have such social cohesion, that's obviously going to be harder. So they are trying to iron out the problems now and see how people are you know, responding to this. And then the goal is to scale it up, perhaps to a bigger island, and so on and so on. And one thing that they did stress to us when we went there is that the 
people who were the most compliant, and that was a surprise to them, were older people. They first of all had a sort of sentimental view of the island and they wanted to, to help the program. But from what they told us, the older people also were used to life before there was plastic. And they were used to conserving things and reusing them. And that wasn't a foreign concept for them. They didn't grow up in a throwaway society. So that's something that they will definitely keep in mind in the next projects. And it was something that they were, they were pleasantly surprised about. Derek, can you talk about this recycling plant, which Energy and Environment Minister Costas Crecas just visited this week as well? What makes it stand out? Well, I think what makes it stand out, to be honest, is the location. Most people think of recycling plants being as part of a city that needs some kind of you know, advanced technology to process and do all the things that need to be done to keep a, a circular economy going and a sustainable system running. But this is the opposite. This is kind of going from the ground up. So the idea, this is the same problem of tackling it from a different perspective. They're trying to see how they can do it on a small scale and then scale up. So what they do is they separate everything just like another recycling plant, but everything they do is smaller. They have a small compost maker. They have a small glass trimmer, powdering machine. They have compressing machines. So they do what a classic recycling plant does, except that it's on a small scale instead of a large scale. And their model works is that most of the waste, that they recycle more than 80% of the island's trash, which is quite remarkable after three months of a pilot scheme or four months. And they try to put as much as they can back into the island economy. So that is glass, plastic, cardboard, anything they can. And everything that they can't do is shipped for recycling and given to customers and people on the mainland. But that's, you know, not most of what is recycled. And another thing is that 16%, and that's a relatively low number, of the material that they process is not recyclable. It's lost material. And what they do is they treat this and they sterilize it, essentially. And then they shred it and they sell that to cement companies and construction businesses to add to their cement. So this would, instead of, you know, using sand and things that are relatively valuable and are being used up very quickly this is again waste being put back into the system and if you take that entire cycle in other words somewhere around 85% being recycled and then 15% lost and even the lost material is put back into construction then it's 100% which again is fairly remarkable. Derek Estilos an example then of the potential Greece's islands have to become pioneers in green tech and environmentally sustainable initiatives? Yes, that's definitely the plan, at least the, the goal. The um, islands are, they have the particularity in Greece that they are traditionally very remote places, only connected by ferry. And on top of that, they have normally have populations of a few thousand, with the exception of Crete and bigger islands. And then they get a huge number of visitors from tourism, or a relatively large number, depending on the island. And this puts a big, big strain on their resources. They have no choice, really, than to embrace the green tech revolution. And they don't really have another way of coping with all this strain, which is actually getting worse as time goes by. There are more visitors, we have global warming, energy prices are going up. So it's really a one-way street for most islands. And on top of that, the EU is heavily funding green transition and has a particular interest in islands because you can measure the result in a very clear way. So the EU is very interested in how islands perform, Greek islands as well as other ones. And they are seeing when the technology works, where it doesn't work. And Greece has also a very high number of 
technically able people. So the combination is good. And Greece has about maybe 200 islands that are populated. And they all have the same problems. They all have water shortages, or most of them have water shortages. They all have blackouts. They all have waste disposal problems. And, you know, the same problem is again and again. So if you can find the model, which is Telos clearly thinks they have found it, then that model can be replicated fairly easily. And, of course, the scale will bring down the price, which is, as all things, the determining factor. So the fact that we're in the middle of an energy crisis has sped up all this effort, and people are looking for solutions quite urgently. Derek, thanks for joining The Greek Current. It was great speaking with you. Yes, um, thank you very much. And uh, yeah, it was great talking to you. Take care. Thanks a lot. In other news, more than half a dozen organizations advocating American interests in the Middle East, Mediterranean, and Caucasus are pressing Congress to overturn the Biden administration's planned sale of F-16 fighter jets and other military material to Turkey. Seven advocacy organizations, including the Hellenic American Leadership Council, sent letters calling on Congress to apply strict scrutiny and oversight to any potential sales or transfer of fighter jets or major weapon systems to Turkey. The Wall Street Journal reported this week that the Biden administration last month asked Congress to approve the sale of advanced weapons and other equipment for Turkey's fleet of F-16 jets. Finally, Turkey's President Erdogan said Friday that his country is not favorable toward Finland and Sweden joining NATO, indicating that Turkey could use its status as a member of the military alliance to veto moves to admit the two countries. Erdogan explained his opposition by citing Sweden and other Scandinavian countries' alleged support for Kurdish militants and others whom Turkey considers to be terrorists. A senior U.S. official said Washington would seek clarification about Erdogan's comments and Turkey's position when Secretary of State Antony Blinken meets his NATO counterparts, including Turkey's foreign minister, this weekend. The United States is supportive of Finland and Sweden's prospective NATO membership bids. That wraps up today's episode of The Greek Current. Thanks for tuning in.